is taken from Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Influenced by what you hear every day on the news. Uh, You may not be aware of it, but the Times newspaper has adopted the policy of supporting and promoting assisted suicide. So they're not really just reporting the news. They are... Uh, they have an agenda, they are, have an attitude, uh, and they're looking to change attitudes of people uh, by the things that they write, and they're looking to gain support. Can we trust the BBC to give us unbiased reports on the news, or do their journalists and reporters uh, also have an agenda to p- promote the very liberal social views? So, Just by listening to the news or reading our newspapers or perhaps going on to social media, our minds take in information. A number of years ago, there was a government-sponsored public health uh, ad shown on TV to try to promote hygiene awareness, particularly in the kitchen. They tried to, their message was to show how bacteria can contaminate various surfaces. 
and the bacteria from raw food uh, was made into a kind of luminous green color and you could see how the person had handled the food and how as they touched various objects around the home how they were spreading the bacteria. Now wouldn't it be interesting if we could make the traces of the work of the devil into a kind of a luminous green color so that we could spot the influence that the devil has upon our lives and upon our own mind and upon our own society. Now the passage that we have read here this morning gives a very graphic picture of the impact that the devil has upon this uh, this, this poor man that we've read about. Now, it's not that the devil does that kind of extreme work in all of our lives. But the devil will do enough to try to keep you from Christ, or if you are a Christian, to try to keep you from enjoying the salvation that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not always easy to spot what the devil is doing or how the devil might be using me or you to agitate someone else. It's very difficult to speak about Satan or the devil today because most people think of him as a kind of a mythical character that doesn't really exist. The devil has almost accomplished the deception of making people think or convincing people that he doesn't exist. He doesn't want you to believe in him. He wants you to ignore him so that he can get on with his work. To talk about Christ today, Jesus Christ is at least acceptable to most people because Uh, even if they don't believe in him, they do accept that a character called Jesus Christ, that he existed in history. But to speak of the devil is to go back to what people think of as the primitive age of pixies and elves, the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. It's nothing short of a stroke of genius for the devil to convince people that he, does, that he doesn't exist. For many years, the British government would not even acknowledge the existence of MI6. They were better able to get on with their job, with their tasks, without the prying public eye. So it was easier for them if people just denied their existence. The devil is very real and, as a being, can be very destructive. The agenda of the devil is to destroy human beings. One of the best descriptions that you can find on the work of the devil that is outside of the Bible is in the writings of C.S. Lewis. In his book, That Hideous Strength, you see how he uses, how the devil uses certain men as his disciples. And then when he's done with them, done with the task, 
He just disposes of them. He shows no loyalty. There's no logic. There's no honor in the way that he works. He doesn't have to be honest. He doesn't have to use the truth. He doesn't have to reward those that have served him. In another book by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters, the devil is heard to say, to us, a human is primarily food. And our aim is the absorption of its will into ours. The increase of our own area of selfhood at the expense of humans. Now, as we come to Mark chapter 5, we see a very extreme example of the work of the devil in this poor man's life. He'd been possessed by demons. Now, let us remember that this man was made in the image of God. Remember that all humanity, in fact, have been made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock. Man was made a ruler. He was created in beauty. He was made to have communion with God. Man was made to be with others, to have friends, to have companionships, to be completed by the woman that God had given him. But what a wreck of humanity that we see in this particular chapter. The work of Satan is to unmake what God had made. Again, Lewis, if you'll forgive another quotation from him, he uses the term that the devil seeks to unman men. The idea of disposing of God out of our lives, we're told today, that that's something that is progressive. It's to be broad-minded. It's to be objective. But that is a lie, and it is a cruel lie at that. And in this chapter, the veil is lifted to allow us to see what the devil will do and what the devil can do. We don't see here a picture of a man who derives any pleasure from the giving and receiving of love from his wife. No joy that comes from just being a friend. None of the pleasures of reading a good book, of listening to music or of enjoying art or of enjoying good food. All we see here is a picture of a lonely man living where a man ought not to live, doing what a man ought not to do, living among the tombs, living in the graveyard. That is no place for a person to live their life. God is the giver of life. The Lord Jesus Christ came that we might have life and that we might live it to the full. But the devil's mission is to consume and to destroy and to make us miserable. This man had become so strong that it says that no one could control him. He couldn't even be controlled with chains. Quite often some measure of control had been attempted, but 
Such was the grip that the demons had upon him and within him. He, he, was, he is described as uncontrollable. We quite often feel that we are a match for our own habits. We play with and tease the little baby tiger of sin. But one day the sin is big enough to maul and to destroy us. Sin is not a healthy thing. There is no benefit to be gained from sin in our lives. The life of sex and drugs and wealth and possessions promises all kinds of fulfillment. But so many wealthy people talk about the emptiness that they find in their own lives. It says that this man went about day and night crying. He knew no peace. He had no happiness. The simple pleasures such as a good cup of coffee, the the smell of the spring blossom on a tree, these things added nothing whatsoever to his life because he was obsessed and he was possessed. What we're looking at here is a man who has been taken pretty near the end of the road that the devil drags a person down. Usually our lives do not exhibit this kind of extreme But even for this man, there is still some distance for him to go. And that's to finally take this man's life. One further manifestation of the the condition that this man finds himself in is we are told that he was cutting and physically abusing himself. It's a reminder of the Old Testament picture of the prophets of Baal who in their evil worship on Mount Carmel, they cut themselves and worked themselves up into a frenzy. Now, the devil may not do such an extreme thing in our lives, but will do just enough, whatever it takes to spoil, whatever it takes to steal the joy of salvation away from us. The devil has got this man to do what he ought not to do. This man is behaving like an animal rather than a man. As C.S. Lewis says, he has been unmanned. But that ought not really to surprise us because back in the Garden of Eden where the devil made his first appearance, the devil did what he ought not to do. He appeared as an animal to tempt man to be what he ought not to be, and that is a God. And in giving in to the temptation, man now behaves in a way that he ought not to behave. He behaves like an animal. He behaves in many times like a a beast of the field. He has been unmanned. Sin has not promoted health. It has not promoted well-being. It was not good for us. The devil seeks to unmake the man to undo the creation. Christ creates man in the first creation. In the fall, man is unmade. The image of God in man is marred and defaced. And Christ comes in redemption to renew the image of God in man and to make him a new creation, to make him man again, to undo that work. The strategies strategies of the coming king, bringing in the kingdom of God, 
are set against the strategies of the God of this world. Mark and his gospel sets for us a kind of a battle scene. At the beginning of the gospel, John the Baptist announces that all men are to repent for the kingdom of God is near. The Holy Spirit anoints the Messiah and immediately takes Jesus out into the desert for what we call the temptation of Jesus. Mark gives us a little detail, but Jesus comes back from the desert in fighting spirit, casting out demons, teaching with authority, controlling the wind and the waves. As we come to chapter 5, we've already got a reasonable idea about who Jesus is and what he can do. If you're reading your way through Mark's gospel, always look out for the term authority, the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ has. Look out also for the people who are amazed at his teaching, people who are astonished, the reaction of the people. When it comes to actually (coughs) describing who Jesus is, or to give an account. There are those that said, oh, this must be John the Baptist raised again from the dead. They are looking for some kind of an explanation that will take in the incredible power and authority that this man has. Of course, Peter names him in in Mark chapter 8. You are the Christ You are the sent one. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. But in chapter 5, Mark still sets up the scene for us in quite a graphic way. We can see that there is a very real problem here with this man. At the end of verse 4, we are told that there was no one strong enough to subdue him. Up until now, the devil had control. But what will happen now that Christ has come, bringing in the kingdom of God? What will happen now that the strong Savior, the strong Christ, has come on the scene? Let's look at the battle here. And it is a battle between, the, between Christ and the demons. On seeing Jesus, the man comes running falling and falls down on his knees and addresses the Messiah as Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Now, this is not worship in the sense that you and I would think of worship. This is a kind of pagan idolatry. Let us remember that the demons are very powerful, but they are not omniscient. They do not know all things. The form of idolatry that they engage in is a kind of magic. The thinking of pagan worship back then was that if you could guess the correct name of the God, then you could get that God to do your bidding. That is why they engaged in so many lengthy incantations, multiplying words and names, hoping that they might guess the name of the God. The demons have a go. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. It's not a reference here to the God of heaven, but to the highest God of all of the gods. Because something pretty awesome has been happening around them. 
and they've got to go for a big figure, a big character, to try to describe or to guess who this might be. It's got to be someone, in their thinking, it's got to be someone who's very high up in the ladder of the table of the gods. Jesus asks them then, what is your name? But the demons forced to answer want to hide their name. They don't want to be controlled. They hedge about the issue to, uh, in their answer and they say that, they, that their name is Legion because they are many. They don't want to leave. In verse 10, he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Here were demons who had found this world to be a happy hunting ground for them, and they have had much success, as we can see in the life of this poor man. There is an Old Testament picture here of what, what is happening. In Daniel chapter 7, there are four kingdoms that are described. The Babylonian kingdom is described by an animal, a lion. The next kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, like a bear, an animal. The Greek kingdom, like a leopard, an animal. The Roman kingdom, like a terrifying and frightening beast, another animal. These kingdoms were all depicted by animals And these were kingdoms that had treated people like animals. These kingdoms had unmanned men, dehumanized them. But the next kingdom that is described in Daniel is described in terms of the Son of Man, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the powerful, the strong and invading Christ coming, bringing in the kingdom of God to put down all rule and all authority. And we see the working out of this in this man's life. The coming of Christ the King and his kingdom reverses the work that Satan has done. In redemption, Christ comes to remake us, to make us a new creation, to give us life, to free us from the power of death, the power of sin, and the power of the devil. The demons have dehumanized the man of the tombs. They have brought this man to the verge of death. He was without hope prior to this. Because no one was strong enough to bind him. But now Christ the strong one has come not to bind him, but to set him free. The work of Satan goes on today because the kingdom of God will not be completed until Christ returns. But Christ is taking a people out of this world to occupy his kingdom. He is calling people from the east, the west, the north, and the south. We're coming together to sit down in the kingdom of God. I know I often make reference to this particular congregation. It is a very unusual congregation because we have so many nationalities represented here. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Doesn't that show us something of the the mix in the kingdom of God? where they've come from the east, the west, the north, and the, and the south, and together in Christ we sit 
there are people here that we have not known you for many weeks, but yet we do feel that we've got something in common with you. That is that we are people together in Christ. That's what forms uh, the, the link that we have. That's what gives us the love for one another. That Christ the strong one has come. Has come to undo the work of Satan in our lives. To forgive us for our sins. And to make us children of God. Can you see that the work of the devil is still about dehumanizing man? Just listen to the news. There have been a number of people sentenced um, for murder in, in this last few weeks here in this country. And the description of their crimes, the way they killed people, it was just dehumanizing. It was just evil beyond evil. When you look and listen to the news to hear what's happening in Gaza, to hear what's happening in the Ukraine, to hear what's happening across the world, you see how powerful people dehumanize other people, not treating them as human beings, but as some kind of fodder. If across the world, we were killing that number of animals. It would be an outrage. But yet we're killing human beings. And very little is said. Oh yes, words are exchanged. But you see how we seek to dehumanize one another. Is that the work of the devil in our own lives what was the point of Jesus allowing the demons to go into pigs? Now, please, this is not an argument against eating pork, okay? Whatever convictions you have about whether you should eat pork or not, I enjoy my pork, okay? And this is not an argument that the devil sent, the, that Jesus sent the devil, the demons into the pigs, the point of why does Mark even mention the pigs here is to try to show you the number of pigs that there were in order to show you the number of demons that there were or how powerful the demons were. But yet they had to obey the voice of Christ. That's the point of, of the, this large herd of pigs. The point is that these demons were legion, they were many, but Christ had authority over them. The devil might seek to unman this man, but Christ has come, and with power and with authority, he is reversing what the devils had done. The end result of this incident is that this man is seen dressed and in his right mind. He is a man who is pure and upright, restored in Christ. I have told you before about the incident where I was preaching down uh, 
mostly to drug addicts and recovering alcoholics down in Brighton. And one man who was probably in his mid-60s had been crying as I was preaching this particular sermon. And I went up to see him afterwards. And he told me how his father had put him into the sex industry since he was about five or six. And how about three or four weeks ago, before I had met him, he'd become a Christian. And he says, is it really true? Am I pure in Christ? I said, it is true. Christ has come to reverse what the devil does in our lives. And this man was just overjoyed at the sense that after the life that he had lived and after having been abused by so many people in his life, that he was able to sense that in Christ he was pure. He was a new creation. And that's what the strong Christ comes to do. He comes to change our lives. He comes to make us pure in Christ. To be outside of Christ is is not clever. The youngest child who has embraced the love of Christ is much wiser than the oldest sage who lives a life without the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not much room for the Christian in the corridors of the intellectual world. One more successful strategy of the God of this world who has blinded their minds so that they would not believe. This rescued man, he turns to glorify God. Look at how Jesus restores him now to family life and a life of telling others about what great things that Jesus has done for him. Here was a man who was lonely. His sin had caused that loneliness. It had caused him to be an outcast, to live among the tombs. But now he's a man in Christ and Jesus sends him back. Go back to your family. Go back to having those relationships and enjoy those relationships. Enjoy this new life that you have now in me. Christ has come to give us life and that we might have that life to the full. Christ wants us to enjoy the life that he has given us. But the devil's tactic (coughs) is to work, to try to destroy that joy, to take it away, to steal it from us. The results of the work of the devil may not be as such a, a... to such an extreme as we see in this man's life in chapter 5. But it will be whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to needle you, to annoy you, to slow you down in your Christian walk, that's what he'll serve up. Whatever that is. But this leaves us only in the middle of the story because the Christ will yet reveal where this is all going. The confrontation and defeat of the demons is part of the evidence that the kingdom of God has really come. Peter gets the picture in chapter 8 where he confesses 
because he is compelled by everything that he sees and hears, he's compelled to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King who would bring in the kingdom of God. But Peter has only got half the picture here. Jesus in the later chapters reveals that the battle against sin, against disease and death and demons, will go right on to Jerusalem, right on to Calvary, where the Son of Man will die. And Peter says, no, Lord. That's not the way that it's going to be. That's not what a king does. Let me tell you what a king does. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because the king must go to Jerusalem. He must go to Calvary. He must die upon the cross. Because that is why he was sent from heaven. He was sent from heaven to earth to become a man in order that he might represent us dying on the cross, dying for our sin, defeating sin, defeating the devil, defeating death as he died upon the cross. The question is, to which kingdom do you belong? Christ has come to work a reversal of the role of sin and Satan in your life. Christ came to recreate those of us who have been saved by Christ. Let us be like that man that was restored to go and to tell others of the wonders, the great wonders of what God has done in our lives. We should not be blind to the existence and to the schemes of the devil to unmake man. To love the righteousness of Christ's kingdom is to work to deliver our friends and neighbors from the kingdom of this world, a kingdom of this world that has taken over their minds and has blinded them to the truth that they need a Savior. When you actually use the language these days to say to someone you need to be saved, they have no idea what you're talking about. Saved from what? Saved from sin. What, what is sin? Sin is a bit of fun. Sin is like dark chocolate on top of a chocolate cake with chocolate sprinkled on top of it. That's what sin is. Or sin is having a little bit of fun on the side. Cheating on your wife. Cheating on your husband. But why would I need to be saved from that? It's not the currency that they deal in anymore. They've lost the, the background of what it means to have been estranged from God if they do not understand the problem, they'll never look for the cure. And it is part of the devil's scheme to take away the literacy, if you like, biblical literacy, so that people will be ignorant of what the Bible teaches 
so that they will not know that they are outside of Christ. That they will not know that there's sin in their lives that one day they will have to give an account to God about. That literacy is taken away by the work of the devil. Not in a, an extreme way as, as we see here in Mark chapter 5, but in subtle ways. Changing the language, changing the attitudes, slowly getting us as Christians used to the idea of sin and things that our grandparents would never have thought of we're seeing around us every day and we're becoming more and more comfortable. Wouldn't it be wonderful, as we said at the beginning, if we could have some kind of luminous paint so that every time the devil was seeking to do something, you could actually see the traces of it. But we don't. Therefore, we need to be on our guard because the devil seeks to unman men, make us what we should never be, make us do what we should never do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank